Mr. Pop. Have you ever wondered what it'd be like to pair Jamar Chase and Jerry Rice as your two wide receivers in fantasy football? Have you ever wondered what it would be like to start Barry Sanders and Patrick Mahomes in your fantasy football lineup? Then this is the place for you. Encore Fantasy, the only place where the fantasy stars of today face off against the legends of yesterday. There are a lot of fantasy games out there that do simulations. Encore Fantasy is taking actual games from these players' past. It's not simulating them. It's not a guess. You're actually getting a Fred Bulitnikoff game, not what Fred Bulitnikoff might have done at some point. Whether you are new to fantasy football or a veteran of the game, we have something for you. This is the Encore Fantasy Podcast. Welcome back to the Encore Fantasy Games Podcast. I am your host, Ben Stecker. Joined alongside me is Michael Michaud. Say hi, Michael. Hi, Michael. That's a Home Alone reference because of the holiday season. But hello, Ben. I'm glad to be back after two weeks. It feels feels like so much has happened in two weeks. Well, so much has happened in two weeks. We've got a ton that's gone on in the Encore Fantasy Football world, a ton that's gone on in the real football world. and the football, uh, the, the football football world. The football football world, and we'll probably take a brief moment there to pause and say RIP to the beloved Mike Leach. That's a bit of tragic news that came down recently on that one. It's home for me as a Washington State Cougar fan, for sure. Got to experience the joys of Leach there as a uh, a unique coach, unique individual. The Palouse Pirate, as he was known in our time. But the football world's going to be missing that guy a little bit. I was going to mention that. I knew you were going to, but if you hadn't, I was going to be all over it. Sports are about characters and what they contribute to the fabric of the game. And there are few people who have contributed as much in terms of the culture and the zaniness that people appreciated, both in terms of how he interacted with people. And he clearly had a great degree of loyalty from his players and what he did on the field with the offenses he designed. Certainly the world is is less colorful without Mike Leach in it. Yeah, the air raid offense is something that carried over to a lot of college football programs and even in the NFL for a brief minute. And he certainly had a heavy hand in developing that. So that's something that's out there. You gotta you gotta know that the tributes and all of that stuff that are gonna come down are gonna be packed full of Mike Leach charm and wit and oddness, which will be a pretty good way to remember Coach Leach. Our best goes out to his family, but it's been quite the last two weeks in the NFL front. We're starting to see the playoff picture crystallize a little bit more. We'll talk about that. The fantasy playoff pictures have basically crystallized in every week, which we'll talk in depth about who might be some season-long fantasy football playoff winner types out there. Quick question about that. Who finished in first place in our fantasy league that we're in together? Who was that? I don't know. I checked out of that league back when we had our podcast about... I'm aware of that, but you also have administrative of duties as the commissioner and the banker and you sent out money today to the person who finished first who was that person you have to say it hello michael (laughs) that's right i scored the fifth most points in the league and i finished first who knew that is a pretty good snapshot for 2022 fantasy football right there i don't have any qualms about it am i going to win the league probably not but another league of mine i squeezed into the playoffs on the last day last week it's a 14 team league and this week i played the number one seed and they were 11 and three and i was 500 and i kicked the crap out of them <laughs> so you know it like fantasy makes no sense uh ever, it makes no really. sense and it's especially painful for me to have you take first place there since you also did triumph in our historical matchup that we'll talk about as well today that we did back in week 13 and go over our two teams and who did what and 
Well, I definitely had a legendary performance on my team. Yeah, my wide receivers. Well, we'll get to that. Uh, we'll do a little oh. bit of <laughs> we'll do a little bit of Wes Welker, not Wes Welker. Uh, we had a little tester where we did a full live who's who juggernaut lineup using our budget last week of all current players to match up against the juggernaut lineups that Michael and I did for our contest. And we'll see how that stacked up. Some big names in those lineups, but the results might not be what you think they are. So we'll talk about that a little bit. And of course, at the end, we'll get to our betting picks. I don't know if anyone out there is a 30 Rock fan, but this is like when Jack Donaghy says that he's got a great betting strategy based on horse penis size. (laughs) I mean, this is a little different, but it's a strategy nonetheless. Ben's going to share it. There's no use of penis in my betting strategy. Let's just say that. I'm just saying it is a strategy. It is a strategy. Uh, First, let's get into our historical game here between Michael and myself. And from roll, please. Mish one. Sad face, Ben. I won. won. So I'm going to move the goalpost and declare victory here, right? So Mish won 164.22 to 134.24. Congratulations. But I actually won because the only reason Mish won was that his receivers that he chose carried his team. So historical receivers are much better than current receivers, even though I too had historical receivers, but I kind of punted on them. So it doesn't really count for me. So really, I'm the winner. So basically, you're saying that I won because I followed the Ben Stecker maxim of historical players. And as a result, I won using your strategy. So really, you won by losing in a way. The best part of this is is that your receiver really didn't actually help you that much. So (laughs) that's also accurate. (laughs) No, so you, I mean, you had a pretty good roster that came together there for you. So you, of all the people on your team that didn't help you, you had Calvin Johnson on there who chipped in with a nice 2.7 points, which. Yeah, that's not great. 2007 Calvin Johnson would have been, that must have been like an injury game for him because. He was still, he was early on in his career. Oh, it was his rookie season. So Calvin was just getting his feet wet. He had one catch for 17 yards. Yeah, against the Vikings in a 42-10 loss. You know, that was a year that the the Lions actually went six and nine. He he only had one game that season where he went over 100 yards for a touchdown. So if you're going to get a Calvin Johnson game that's bad, it's probably going to be the 2007 season. Yeah. So, yeah, he was of all the people, he did not help you out much. But the rest of your team came through pretty good. Tony Romo, 31 and a half points. Good old Tony Romo checking in there. Corey Dillon, I knew it. I 26.7 points. Actually, your legendary player for sure that helped you out was Kellen Winslow, tight end. Yeah, especially because your tight end got you. I don't know how to pronounce this. Is it zero? Is I think it's zero. I believe it's pronounced zilch. Zilch. Goose egg. Nil. It's not, it's a World Cup. Nil. 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 Rob yeah. Gronkowski got me zero points. Thanks, Rob. The tight end is the difference. I won by 30 points and my tight end got me 29 points. Your tight end got you zero. Our running backs basically canceled each other out. You might have done even a little better. Running back heavy was my strategy. I did go really heavy on the running backs when I picked. And yeah. I had the best player of the week, which is a legendary performance. That's Barry Sanders. Run, Barry, run. Yes. His game was from 1990. Pretty early in his career. Second Five catches, season. 135 yards and a touchdown as a running back. Always helps your famous stat line. <laughs> For sure. I also had 90 rushing yards and a rushing touchdown. When I was a kid, I think I probably was about nine years old and in the mood of the holiday spirit, since we're going into the holiday season here, I rewrote Here Comes Santa Claus to be Here Comes Sanders Claus. Ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas! In honor of Barry Sanders. And I believe it went 
blitzing and rushing and trying to score a touchdown every game was part of the verse there. So there you go. My my musical prowess comes through. My God. I think our listeners really want you to find that and sing it. And maybe our producer can put the music to it later and you can jam out to your Here Comes Sanders Claus. Here Comes Sanders Claus. Well, he delivered for you. He delivered for you. It wasn't just five catches, 135 yards. It was also 90 rushing yards and a touchdown both receiving and rushing. So that's why you got 39.5 points from Barry Sanders. The, as you said, legendary performance of the week, slightly ahead of Tony Romo for me and Priest Holmes. Yeah, Priest Holmes, he really helped you. That was a big one. Another moldy oldie that helped you out there, Lance Allworth, checking in with four Yeah, your boy! As a teaser for our next podcast, we're going to be collecting the uh, urine data to see how uh, we've done from all the historical players to do a little comparison to current players for an overall season through a 17 game week and and we'll see what that looks like on a points per game on overall stats i really think lance allworth is going to be up on that list i I think he's going to have a pretty pretty good points per game average i think he is although i do think there was one week we pitched him on the podcast and then he scored like zero so that might throw down his his average but i still think in general it's going to be good this 23 point performance is certainly going to help he was a guy who we talked up a lot in the early going as being an older guy that you could find in this game to throw on your team and it'd be really fun and it was really fun for me last week in beating you zero is exactly 1.7 points less than what i got from not wesley welker <laughs> not wesley welker wesley walker <laughs> reading is a hard thing for some of us and when you really get excited that you found a great deal on Wes welker to be your third wide receiver it turns out that what you found was a guy named Wesley Walker, who, while good enough Take to have out. 11 points projected weekly score, was not <laughs> he exactly... He ended up with a 1.7. Take a look. It's in a book. Reading Walker. Yeah, he really didn't help me out much. Uh, almost matched you at Calvin Johnson, though. The other guy that I was really banking on getting one of his big touchdown games, and that was TJ Hushmanzada. That was your Hushmanelli championship. That guy <laughs> didn't really do much for you there. Four points, 36 yards. Four catches, 36 yards. Yeah, 7.6 points. I mean, but my other receiver was Charlie Hennigan, who only got 6.7 points. So Yeah, we, um, we, both, we both dabbled our toe in the Charlie Hennigan pool here. And while well, he's got a high projected point total, 16.7. Yeah, I don't yeah, think 16. he's popped very much when he's been picked. His delta has been pretty low those times. We're going to have to have a conversation with old Charlie there, spelling his name with an E-Y instead of an I-E at the end. I'm going to tweet at him and see what he has to say. The nerve. Is he still alive? That's right. Uh, <laughs> Charlie Hennigan is not alive. He's not going to respond to my tweets. It doesn't mean I can't tweet at him. Charlie left us in, ni- in 2017 at the age of 82 because he played from 1960 to 1966. So, <laughs> Well, we take it back, Charlie. Uh, okay. You're a fantastic wide receiver. Five-time Pro Bowl, three-time All-Pro, two-time AFL champion. Really? Clearly a legendary career. Yeah. What carried this matchup, I think, for both of us was those historical running backs, though. I mean, between the six running backs we picked, Barry had 39 and a half points. Priest had 30 points. Curtis Martin, for me, had 28 points. He had 164 rushing yards and two touchdowns, just really dominated on the ground. Curtis Martin's one of those guys, high, high floor, maybe not the highest ceiling, but high floor, just rakes in the points. Corey Dillon, 26 points. 
Dominic Williams, 17 points, and LaShawn, 14 points. So every single running back was double digits. They were all over 14, and all but two of them were over 25 points. The Priest home games I got was October 27th, 2002. He went for 91 yards rushing, six catches, 93 yards, and a touchdown. So that's how you end up with 30 points. We obviously pick these guys because both higher floors. Okay, Curtis Martin doesn't have the highest ceiling, but him, Barry Sanders, Dominic Williams, Priest Holmes, Corey Dillon. These guys were running backs in the age of like workhorse running back, which doesn't really exist in the NFL anymore. So you're talking about a guy who's going to get 20 to 25 touches at least a game, and they end up rushing for 80, 90 yards a game because that was way more common. And it ends up working out that you have a floor of 15, 16, 17, 18 points. That's basically what all their projections were. And it ends up working out. That's clearly, clearly why we did that. Yeah. Yeah. My strategy was not wrong to go heavy on the elite running backs. But my value finding of wide receivers is what did me in. Also, Gronk. What the heck, Gronk? What what happened yeah. in that game? That game was on September 20th, 2020. Oh, he's old. Oh, oh, that's too bad. Is that his last season with the Patriots? I think it was. No, it was Tampa Bay. He had one target. He played one snap. Because he was coming in late into the season and just getting warmed up, right? Yeah, that was ah, it. So that's stupid, un- that's unfortunate for you. Gronk. <laughs> Bronx spiking on my head. Yo soy fiesta. Yo soy fiesta. That was the big difference for you was like, generally we were pretty evenly matched, except you got zero points from your tight end and I got 29 from mine. We were joking at the beginning about how I had like the fifth or sixth most points in our fantasy league and I ended up in first place. And fantasy is about luck and timing and you can put all the strategy you want into it. And we certainly thought through this, but you know, it just ends up being what did Barry Sanders feel like on one day at one point in his career? Just like it is what happened this past weekend with Noah Fant when I needed him to get like two catches and he ended Which up with zero. He was coming off of a rather big game before that too for Seattle where you thought, oh, this is finally the chance that he's going to do something. But that's a good segue into our next segment, the new version of Old V Young where we're going to compare the two lineups that we put together of historical players, which was basically picking the best of the best that we could come up with and putting them on there. The lineup that you built last week that was 100% current players, you had Jalen Hurts, you had Austin Eckler at running back, Tony Pollard at running back, Saquon Barkley at running back. You had Devontae Smith, you had AJ Brown, well, the Eagles heavy, and Chris Godwin on there. And then, of course, Noah Fant was basically your throwaway at tight end because you ran out of money. Yeah, that's correct. He was projected for seven points, but like you said, he had a good week the week before, and Geno Smith's been good, except on Sunday, he was bad. But I did go heavy on the Eagles. I had three. The reason for that is they were playing my Giants, whose secondary has been destroyed by injuries, and the Giants are playing now up to the record that I thought they would be for the whole of the season, which is bad. So I picked Eagles because I knew they'd probably score a lot of points against the Giants, and they did. Most of their points actually came rushing, but I did get 34 points combined from Brown and Smith, who each caught a touchdown. Let's be honest. If you're in a season-long fantasy league and your lineup is Hurts, A.J. Brown, Godwin, Devontae Smith, Austin Eckler, Barkley, Tony Pollard, no fan, you've got a good team. You're in the playoffs with that team this year. So the idea was it's reflective of what a potential league-winning lineup would look like this year because that is a potential league-winning lineup the way some of those guys have been playing. Yeah, for sure. And they delivered, I mean, 22 points from Pollard, 17 points each from Brown, 
Brown and Smith, 34 from Hurts. Austin Eckler with 24 points. Saquon, a little bit of a dud. Yeah, he also came in hurt. And then the Giants, I think once it got out of hand a little, they were like, okay, well, we're not going to play him now. Since the Giants play the Commanders again for the second time in three weeks. Big playoff game. So I think at some point during that game when they fell down 31 to 7, they were saying, okay, let's take Saquon out and limit the risk here. Yeah, and the result is that team came in with 132.58 points. Very respectable score, very solid team. So it would have lost my team last year. It would have lost and your team last year. As I came in at 134, you came in at 164. So an interesting little cross comparison there. So what's the big difference maker there? Because we talked about all of our, I don't want to say this out loud, but I will. All of our historical wide receivers kind of like duds, but in your active lineup, you had A.J. Brown, Godwin, Devontae Smith all really did well. 44 points between the three of them. But it really is that running back trio. The ability to put those historical guys in there on both our teams, our running backs came in with so many points that it just kind of offset the other side. That's true. Yeah, that's exactly right. What's interesting from this for me is is that if you're looking at historical players versus live players, this shows me that however you slice up a lineup with budgets, with whatever you do, you can create historical lineups that can compete with and beat current players. Even in today's offensive explosive game, very early is an equity of potential scoring across the board with both of them, which I think is the whole point behind why we have the game. One, to, to show that it really hasn't changed in history. Like you can still use the same players and relive the same great things and have scores that are the same and similar. These two weeks are like a perfect example of why this game is fun. Sure, I think the assumption is older players aren't going to score as many points fantasy-wise, but then you look at results from our all-historical lineup. You can find points. They are there to be had. You don't have to rely on a lineup of active players who can get you points, but so can Lance Allworth from the 60s and 70s and Earl Campbell. So that's why it's fun to like mix and match. And we obviously, I mean, this is obviously an experiment and extreme, but you and I throughout the whole season have been putting together lineups that have been a combination of the two, but we decided to have some fun these last two weeks just for comparative purposes. And, and that's what we ended up with. But it just shows how fun it can be to to mix and match and find those players to fill out your roster, those older yeah. players that you've never heard of. And for comparison's sake, some people might say, well, 132 points for a current roster, no matter how good it is, like that's a low score. This is PPR, pretty normal scoring for a normal league, but some people have been, well, winning teams are scoring 155 points or 160 points or whatever it is. Bear in mind that this lineup does not include a kicker or a defense, which in some of these leagues are kicking in another 20 points these days. Right. So really, you're talking oh. about probably 150, 155 points scored here. Also, for those people, you're clearly not in the PPR leagues that I'm in because I know our league on Yahoo, the scoring is a little inflated, especially with quarterbacks to some degree, but some of my other leagues are PPR and the winning teams have been scoring like 115, 115. 125 and that's with kickers and defenses so i i wouldn't scoff too much at that scoring has been tough to find to some degree this season yeah for sure i think every way we slice it the results are always the same and there's one hard cold fact and that's the historical wide receivers are better than current wide receivers <laughs> the ben <laughs> stecker maxim yeah sure enough i'll continue relying on the old running backs are great which is what won me our matchup last uh, two weeks ago in our all historical player battle. So whatever you want to do, the Ben Stecker Maxim. If you want to take the easy road and follow the data, then fine, you can do that. Follow it to victory. I just want to be clear. To, to winning. Since we don't always post video with this, Michael is now peacocking in his room right now to his... Yeah. Hold on, I have to put my shirt back on. It says historical fantasy champion. I wrote it on my chest right before I started this podcast. It's wild. It's wild scenes over here. <laughs> wild scenes. 
NFL playoffs. I know the Eagles look pretty good on paper. Frauds. But if San Francisco has a living quarterback, is there any team in the NFC that can beat Kyle Shanahan with those weapons? I don't think that there is. The big question, I think, is funnily enough, the big question is not Brock Purdy. It's Debo Samuel to some degree. But then again, maybe it isn't because it also seems like anytime someone goes down on the 49ers, like you said, Kyle Shanahan just finds someone else to fill in and become a big time playmaker. We haven't even heard George Kittle that much this season. So all of a sudden he could pop up for 10 catches, 130 yards in any game. Listen, you bet against the 49ers at your peril is how I look at it. One of the reasons I picked Chris Godwin for my all active player team this week is because I was thinking, oh, the Buccaneers are probably gonna be throwing a lot. Let's just throw Chris Godwin in there. And it turns out they were throwing a lot just badly because, oh yeah, the 49ers defense is also really good. <laughs> so even if you know, you just have a guy like Brock Purdy or Jimmy G managing the game and handing off or dumping it to CMC or whomever. Doesn't seem to matter. So I know you're right. The Eagles are 12 and one. The 49ers are nine and four. The Vikings are 10 and three. I somehow, which is weird. It's yeah. not that weird for the Vikings. So the Vikings, they're, they're one of those teams that if they get lucky in the postseason. They might be able to win a few games. They have dynamic weapons on offense. Justin Jefferson is unbelievable. Yeah, Dalvin Cook is there. They brought in TJ Hawkinson via trade. And look, Kirk Cousins is that guy. I've said this many times, and my wife really yelled at me because she hates Kirk Cousins. She's a Vikings fan, and she thinks he's the worst, as do many people out there. But Kirk Cousins is what he is. He is a quarterback that will never win a Super Bowl for his team on his own, but he is a quarterback that can win a Super Bowl with his team if the rest of the team is correct. The problem the Vikings have is their defense is opportunistic. They're not a shutdown defense. They are bend, don't break, and get the turnover defense, which can work, but is a scary thing to roll with. And their offensive line is basically turnstiles. Might as well be you and I out there blocking for them. So the Vikings, just by those playmakers alone, could upset some teams, but Really, it's a two-team race in the NFC. It's the Eagles and it's the 49ers. And I think it hinges on whether or not the 49ers have a, as I said, living, breathing quarterback. The Seahawks look so bad on Sunday that I don't even think it would matter. The Seahawks are one of those back-end playoff teams along with the Commanders and your Giants. And let's be honest about all three of those teams. There's some stinky cheese with all three of those. Oh, horrible. Here's a question for you. The Detroit Lions might make the playoffs? The Lions are, what, one game out of the playoffs right now? And they're streaking a little bit? Who knew that Jared Goff would be manning one of the most prolific scoring offenses in the NFL this year? The guy doesn't even know where the sun rises and where it sets. Which cardinal direction? What does that tell you? Don't go to school. Is Jared Goff the Ryan Lochte of NFL quarterbacks? (laughs) That's a great comparison. (laughs) Yes. Yes, clearly. Like, tall guy, great athlete, generally performs, but is clearly a moron. And you know what? Ryan Lochte has a bunch of gold medals and I don't have those. And Jared Goff is a not terrible NFL quarterback. Been to a Super Bowl already. Yeah, exactly. How many points did they score in that game? Three? Well, you're right. I mean, that's an interesting team that could make some that could make some noise. Uh, Jared Lochte and the Lions could make their way into the postseason. I don't know if they'd win, but it's the playoffs. Anything can happen. Well, now that that, that first weekend is three games per conference, right? So they... They could win. They could definitely win a game. I don't know if they would, but considering where halfway through the season, everyone was like, Dan Campbell should definitely be fired. And now they've lost one game since the beginning of November. Here's a question for you. Tell me how you feel about the Miami Dolphins. Go. I find Mike McDaniel to be a very interesting character. He's the biggest nerd to be in football, and he is brilliant at somehow getting the most out of Tua Tagovailoa. 
I'm not really the guy who's going to jump in on the whole Tua Herbert nonsense that's been going on because I don't know why we're talking about two guys that haven't won or done anything. Because people like arguing about stuff. Can't really argue with the fact that the Dolphins have talent. You can't really argue with the fact that the Dolphins have found ways to utilize that talent this year, if not every week, but most weeks. They're eight and five. They're probably going to make it to the playoffs with just some mediocre play the rest of the way there. And they, they, they've got talent on both sides of the ball. So I don't think they're a legit Super Bowl contender, but I think they could probably get to the division series and maybe scare somebody. It'll just depend on who their matchup is. But I'm not going to go against Mike McDaniels being able to scheme up some interesting games there. It's also interesting in sixth place, the second to last playoff position, the Dolphins are eight and five. The Patriots are in the last place position at seven and six. Then the Chargers at seven and six. And then the Jets at seven and six. The Jets are fake. I think the Jacksonville Jaguars have a better chance of making the playoffs than either the Patriots or the Jets. So here's the thing. We're talking about all these teams and none of these teams have a chance. Let's just be honest. They no. can all make the playoffs. They, they don't have a chance of going to the Super Bowl. None of them are these catch fire and play teams. There are three teams in the AFC, I think, that have a chance. Three and only three. It's the Bills, the Chiefs, and again, the Bengals. The Bengals are playing excellent football right now after a slow start to the year. They seem to be a very complete team. Their defense plays well. Obviously, they have weapons on offense, and they've been doing it with missing different receivers every week. Tyler Boyd went down last week. They had missed Chase for several weeks. T. Higgins went down. To me, it's going to come down to which of the three quarterbacks gets the hottest in the postseason. Mahomes, Allen, or Burrow. And that's going to be who goes in. I feel like we're just destined for another Bills Chiefs classic in the playoffs. Just think it's headed in that direction. Although the Bills have looked a little shaky and the Chiefs blew that huge lead against the Broncos and then still won the game. I just think those two teams have proven that they can turn it on in the playoffs. It's hard to maintain a certain degree of excellence in the NFL because while there are talent discrepancies between teams, they're not as exaggerated as they are in like college football per se. So as they say, any given Sunday, anything can happen. Yeah. So playoffs, playoffs. are fast approaching for the NFL, but what's here now are fantasy playoffs, which is a little bit more in our wheelhouse. And everybody, everybody's tripping themselves, tripping over themselves to figure out who is the league winner in this year's playoffs, which is great because people have been throwing names out for weeks now. I think Kenneth Walker was supposed to be one of those guys when he came in. That's right. How'd that go? <laughs> so good. So good for all those guys. Yeah, we've got, uh, I think the latest one is Zonovan Knight with the New York Jets. I used him in the league this week. He was very helpful. I do have some guys that are off the beaten path that I think are going to be pretty big contributors to leagues. But I'm going to go on a limb and say that your league winners might actually be Josh Jacobs, Devonta Adams, and Justin Jefferson, who are pretty darn good and yeah. score ridiculous amounts of points. Yeah, it's hard to uh, argue with that, although Derek Carr was really bad last Thursday, but Devonta Adams still caught a touchdown. It's very difficult to argue with that. One guy for sure who has come on strong, Brian Robinson Jr. He scored, let's see, 15 points. He had a down game against Houston in week 11, then 21 points and 13 against the Giants. The guy's getting the majority of the carries for the commanders and catches a few balls out of the backfield, but generally is a threat to score a touchdown. I think he's a guy who also, as the commanders look to push to the playoffs, Taylor Heineke, I don't know what sort of demon magic he's working from to win games, but it's working. 
So I, I would say it's hard to argue against those three guys for sure. Josh Jacobs coming on super strong, but also Brian Robinson. And, you know, Justin Fields keeps scoring points. He doesn't throw for very many yards, but he certainly is a threat to run. And no team has been able to figure it out yet. He plays the Eagles this week, which is going to be interesting because they have the best defense in the league. So we'll see. It's a really good call. I mean, it really is. It's, it's definitely somebody who's starting to emerge there a bit and will be a factor because like you said, they do have a lot to play for. I'm looking at a pair of wide receivers, though. One is a rookie breaking out and one's a third year guy who's starting to break out. And that's Christian Watson, obviously. And if you were able to scoop him up, he's been 20 plus points in each of the last four contests he's been in. He's number seven overall over the last four weeks in average scoring among position players in PPR leagues. Number nine overall, Jerry Judy. Judy got hurt a few weeks ago, but prior to that, he was emerging as Russell Wilson's trusted target. He had 16 points, 18 points, got hurt, missed three games, came back. He played 38% of the snaps in the game two weeks ago against the Ravens. He had four targets, four catches for 65 yards. So in limited action, because he wasn't fully healthy, he came back and put up a 10-point week. And then we saw what happened last week, eight catches, 73 yards, three touchdowns. Jerry Judy is turning into a guy that I hate using the word league winner, but he legit could be that. If Russell Wilson is healthy, Wilson trusts him, likes him, looks for him, and Judy can beat anybody in coverage. Now, the Broncos are basically down to him as a receiver, so there's a lot of coverage being skewed his way, but I was looking at it. Judy's track record, his his season career track record, is basically a carbon copy of what Devontae Adams did. Struggled early on in his career, even with the drops, didn't have a lot of stats, missed games here and there, had some issues. Then in year three, clicked with Aaron Rodgers, and the stats started to pile up. That's where Judy's at right now with Russell Wilson. We might be seeing a guy that, one, is going to carry teams in the playoffs this year, and two, might be a huge breakout next year. Yeah, it's tough to argue with that. He's certainly come on strong the last couple of weeks. I was a guy who leaned super hard into the Cortland Sutton hype before the season. That hasn't really worked out, but not much has worked out for the Broncos generally, except, as you point out, Jerry Judy over the last couple of weeks. The guy I'll throw out, similarly, who's come on strong, is Garrett Wilson with the Jets. I know, I know that the Jets, Mike White almost had all of his internal organs scrambled on Sunday and no one trusts Zach Wilson, but whoever's been a quarterback over the last, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six games, Garrett Wilson has scored over 14 points in five of those and over 24 in two of those. And he gets a ton of targets and he's proven to be probably the Jets' best wide receiver. And listen, we may not trust the Jets for being good, but we don't care if the Jets win. We care if the Jets have to pass a lot, and I think they are going to. And I think if Mike White is healthy, he's Garrett Wilson has proven to be a weapon under him. So that's another guy you can plug in over these last couple of weeks who can be a league winner for you. How about a quarterback? Over the last four weeks, it's been Trevor Lawrence is the number two fantasy quarterback behind Jalen Hurts. Trevor Lawrence was not starting for anybody's fantasy team at the beginning of this year. Certainly wasn't six weeks into this year, but he's averaging 32.8 points a week over the last four weeks. That's insanity. He has yeah. really yeah. found his rhythm. He has two plus touchdowns in three of his last four games, three touchdowns in two of his last three games. He's gone over 300 yards in two of his last three games. He just, he he's, he's clicking. He's got Zay Jones out there working for him. Another guy in PPR leagues that could make a huge difference in the playoffs that Absolutely. were on the waiver wire. The, the Jags, man, they're having a little fun over there these days, just like the Lions in the NFC. In one of my leagues, I, I plugged in Evan Ingram uh, this week and he ended up grabbing me <laughs> 39 points. Yeah. The, the Jaguars are such an interesting team because I think we're all conditioned to not have faith in them, but they have a good offense. Evan Ingram is the fourth ranked tight end. As a Giants fan, this hurts me because I watched him do nothing for five years with the Giants, but 
him, Zay Jones, and Trevor Lawrence are our three guys that if you're willing to gamble a little bit or you need to gamble a little bit, depending on your roster, I don't I'd put my I put my fantasy money on those guys for sure. Yeah, but the only uh Jaguar who isn't doing anything for anybody is Travis Etienne, which a lot of us had on our teams and expected to have something from, and he's been poopy sticks. <laughs> poopy sticks. That's an industry term. Yeah, well yeah. in the industry. Well, there you go. So there's there's a, there's a few few names to, to to kick around. I mean, as far as it goes, as, as waiver wire guys that might be out there for you, that gets a little trickier because at this point everything's pretty well picked over. But you know, Evan Ingram was a guy that some people had out there that you could go get. Uh, DJ Chark might be out there. Chark's been coming on strong lately. Yeah, I picked up DJ Chark in that league with 14 teams where I played the number one seed, and I picked him up at about 12 p.m. on Sunday and plugged him in because of an injury because Jacoby Myers was out. And I said, oh, well, what the hell? I'm taking on the number one seed. I'm going to lose anyway. And then he got like 20 points. So right. inspired. Yes. Jarek McKinnon, another guy who has come on strong lately and proven since Clyde edwards Hilaire was bad and then got hurt. Jarrett McKinnon has been the guy mainly as a receiving threat, but he's been hot of late, as you saw as a Broncos fan on Sunday, right in the face. He is also Ouch. another guy. Sorry. He is also another guy who could easily put up a 25 to 30 point week for you out of the blue. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely that definitely could be the case there. You got a couple of receivers that you might be able to dig up there too, who have been getting consistent looks. Josh Reynolds is healthy again in Detroit. He gets a lot of targets, trusted by Jared Lochte. Isaiah Hodgins uh, coming up in New York. He's starting to get some targets, starting to get some looks, starting to get some end zone. Very bleak in the Giants receiving core. It's been bleak the whole season, but it's okay because they're paying Kenny Galladay about $30 million this year, so it's fine. Worst contract ever. It's up there. And that's come from the guy whose team just gave Russell Wilson $250 million. <laughs> Thank you, Dave Gettleman. You set us up well for the future. You rock. So there you go. Some potential league winners from the brilliant minds of Michael and Ben, who we see that are out there. Guys that we think might carry their teams to titles. Some guys you might still be able to mine off your waiver wires if you're desperate. Hey, sometimes you are desperate at this point in the season. You just got to fill those spots. You get your eye on a nice, sweet, fat projection and you throw it in there. And then the guy pulls a zero out of his butt like Noah Fant. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Noah Fant. The last thing we've got to talk about is, and I'm very excited to talk about this because last week I gave my new strategy way and I'm going to hit on it again, but we're talking about our sports betting picks. I have my favorites parlay strategy and it has been working pretty good. You need to come up with like a very specific name for this strategy, like a jazzy name. That's what it's missing right now. It is missing a jazzy name. So if you come up with a jazzy name for this, let me know. But the last four weeks I've been taking favorites who are heavy favorites to win. Usually, you know, minus 200 or better uh, to, to win their matchup and lumping them together to get those favorable odds in a parlay. We've done it now four weeks in a row. All four weeks have hit. Let me see if I can go back and look at a couple of these ones here. The first one that I did was the Buffalo Bills against the Browns, the Eagles against the Colts, minus 280, and the Chiefs against the Chargers at minus 230, which all put together gave me a three-pick parlay at plus 148. Hit that one. We did another three-pick parlay the next week, which was the Eagles against the Packers, the 49ers against the Saints, and the Bengals against the Titans. Those all combined plus 228, three-pick parlay. Hit that one. And then two weeks ago, it was the Bills versus the Patriots, minus 240. The Eagles versus the Titans, minus 265. The Browns versus the Texans, minus 265. Easy money there. And then the Cowboys versus the Colts, minus 460. And that put me in a plus 234. Hit that parlay. So that's three in a row. And this last week, which was one that I threw out on our last call uh, two weeks ago, 
And that was Chiefs versus Broncos, the Bengals versus the Browns, the Bills versus the Jets, and the Eagles versus the Giants. Boom, boom, boom. Took them all down for plus 218. This strategy has been working. Clearly. So what is it this week? So this week, I've got the Eagles at the Bears, minus 435. I've got the Packers at home versus the Rams. Baker Mayfield can be as exciting as he wants for five minutes. He ain't winning a game in Lambeau in December. Not happening. Not with the fighting Ben Skoranek's. Hard to argue with that. I've got the Bengals against the Buccaneers, which is a little bit touchy because you never know what Brady will do. But let's be honest, the Bucks are kind of smelly. Oh my God, I was watching their game and it was so bad. They couldn't do anything. It was terrible. They were terrible. They're just not good at the football. And then my fourth leg of the parlay, those are uh, minus 435, minus 315, minus 185. My fourth leg is the Vikings at home against the Colts. The Colts, they're just not good at football. The Vikings at home with a chance to clinch the playoffs are going to be a little sore from losing to the Lions. They're going to step up to win this one, clinch their division. Those four together, plus 267. A little $20 wager there gets you 73 bucks. Not too bad. There you go. I'm going to go with a parlay myself. I'm going to call it the triple underpass. That's what I'm going with because I have three games that I'm looking at that I think will hit the under Mm. because of either a combination of good defense, terrible offense, or both. First of all, Giants commanders, the over-under is 40. I don't think so. The Giants barely have an offense. And it's a night game and the weather might be crappy in DC on Sunday. So I'm going under 40 points, Giants commanders. My other one is over-under 44.5 points, Patriots Raiders under Mm. because both the Patriots defense and the Patriots inept offense. And my last pick is over under 38.5 Steelers at Panthers. I know the Panthers just played kind of good and scored kind of a lot of points against the Seahawks, but I still don't trust Sam Darnold. So I'm going under Steelers Panthers 38.5, the triple underpass parlay. It's a can't miss, really. It's a can't miss. I like that. The triple underpass. See, that's a snazzy name. I don't have a snazzy name for mine. This is the Jabberwocky bet. All favorites. All favorites. The Jabberwocky parlay. We've done. That's perfect. And the triple underpass. <laughs> all right. That's all we got for you this week. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back in two weeks after the holidays. We'll see how everything goes. See what shakes out. See how the Jabberwocky parlay and the triple underpass work out there. We'll have some more historical player data so you can see how people have done for the whole season compared to how the live players have done this season. We'll do a little bit of that. But thanks for tuning in and joining us. It's been a lot of fun. We wish everybody a happy holiday and good luck in your fancy playoffs to everybody except for Mish. I don't know. I don't like Harry more. Fancy football is to me. Injuries suck and ruin fancy football this year. Thanks for joining <laughs> us on the podcast. This episode is history. And you throw it in there and then the guy pulls a uh, horse penis out of his butt. Just sucking it out of there. I know it's long, but it's fun. <laughs>